It is good to be able to worship the Lord together and to honor him and know that he is here in the midst of us. Amen. And we're glad that you are here. Today we're going to look at, we're going to continue our series on King Jesus. And today we're looking at the topic of the King's Call. And if you recall, we have been looking in the Gospel of Mark for the past few weeks. And today we see that Jesus is going to call Levi, who is also known as Matthew in other parts, uh, other, the other Gospels, uh, and Jesus is calling him to follow him. And what we find about that call, which is true for every call to follow Jesus, is that it is a radical call. So last week we saw that Jesus made a bold and radical claim when he told the paralytic that he was forgiven of his sins. King Jesus was claiming, and rightly so, in that, in that statement that he is God. And we see the king today who is God interacting with sinners. And we're going to take a look at that and see that the radical call of Jesus, King Jesus, changes people. It changes people. And if you are not a follower, if you're here today and you're not, you are not a follower or a disciple, a born-again believer, a follower of Jesus, then I pray that this morning you will hear the radical call in your life today to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've heard that call and heeded that call to follow Jesus, the question for you is, how has it changed you? How has his call in your life changed you? If you are a disciple of King Jesus, he still calls us to live a radical life. That radical life includes to follow him and to obey him and to act like him. You say, well, why, why would he do that? Well, here's the reason. Because he is the king. Amen? He's the king. So if you're able today, I'd love for you to stand in honor and reverence for the word of God as I read for you Mark chapter 2, reading verses 13 through 17. It tells us here that then he, that's Jesus, went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to themselves, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word of God this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that we have here today. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would have the freedom to move in this service and throughout this entire building and through this entire church today. Lord, while Sunday school is going on even now, the Bible study classes are happening while we're here in this worship center and then 11 o'clock when it switches up. May your spirit continue to be felt. Lord, may your presence be made known all over this place. Lord, where we're here today, we, we're coming, Father, with expectation and anticipation of you doing something to speak to our hearts that we may hear from you today. Lord, we want to acknowledge that you're here and that we want to apply what we hear in our, 
to our lives, Lord, to be the people that you desire for us to be as your followers. We pray, Father, if there are those here today who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that, Lord, this would be the time of salvation for them. And those of us, Lord, who are your children, may it be a time of refreshing, renewal, and even a recommitment of our hearts and lives to you. Lord, let nothing hinder your spirit from moving in our midst. May you have complete control and authority as you are the king. And so, Lord, we pray now that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And may you have your way in every heart and in every life for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, as you see the outline in the bulletin today for you, I'd love for you to follow along in that and fill in the blanks as we go. But we see, first off, that the king's call is a radical call as there is a radical reach. There is a radical reach. And let's look at verse 14 again. Jesus passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. For So he arose and he followed him. So Levi, as we said, is Matthew. And we see here that Levi is in his tax office, which it's a lot different today. Today, we think about tax offices as being a little building with a sign on it that says CPA or something like that, or H&R Block or uh, Jackson Hewitt, or we see it uh, in Walmart or Target or somewhere where they've got their little booth set up. It's a lot different today than what it was then. Back in that day, it was really a booth at the main gate where there was an elevated platform or a bench And this tax collector would be there collecting taxes. Everyone who passed by that raised platform or that bench would have known who Levi was. And anyone passing through the city at that gate who had to pay taxes would easily and could easily identify that that is the tax collector. And so he was indeed a tax collector. Now, uh, we don't think... When we think about somebody collecting our taxes, it doesn't um, exude the greatest feeling. Amen? Today? Well, in that day, it was even worse, hundreds times worse than what we feel today. Those people, the tax collectors in that day, were considered to be the lowest of the low life. They were like the mafia. And they, they would often, this, this group of people, these tax collectors, would often oppress people in order that they could get more money. As a matter of fact, they were masters at extortion. They were masters at bribery. They were masters at overcharging people to pad their own pockets. Um, they were typically so focused on money that they did not care how people were treated. So they were hated among the people of that day. As a matter of fact, they were not even allowed to be witnesses or judges in court because they were considered to be so untrustworthy. And for the Jew, if the Jew were to know a Jewish tax collector, then they really loathed those guys. Because the Jew would feel about the Jewish tax collector that this Jewish tax collector has valued his money over his reputation as a good Jew. 
He has valued his money over his respectability. He has valued his money over his religion. He has valued his money over his concern for his own people as a Jew. And he was seen as a traitor because he worked for Rome. He was the lowlife. He was the worst of sinners. They were loathed. They were hated. And nobody, nobody liked the tax collector. And so here we find Jesus and he walks past the tax office and he sees Levi and he calls him to follow him. So when Jesus now is calling for Levi to follow him, friends, listen, it is a radical reach. As a matter of fact, it is a scandalous act of grace. Everyone else sees a low life, but Jesus sees someone who can be changed to have life. Everyone else sees a traitor to the nation, but Jesus sees someone who can be loyal and committed to the King, Jesus. Everyone else sees a sinner in the worst degree, but Jesus sees someone who can be saved in a wonderful way. It is a radical reach. Now, when you hear what Jesus did for Levi, that it was a radical reach, you have to step back and pause and think, I am so thankful that Jesus is like that. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus is like that? Well, why is that, Pastor? Why would you say that? I'll tell you why. Because that Jesus who radically reached out for Levi is the same Jesus who is radically reaching out to people today. He is still doing the same, and he has done that in our own lives. This king's call is a radical call. It's a radical reach as he calls people like a despised tax collector, like a Levi. It's a radical call, it's a radical reach as he calls people like a persecutor of Christians, like a Paul. It's a radical call, it's a radical reach as he calls out to people just like me and just like you. It's a radical call, friends, and a radical reach as Jesus continues to call, and to call people that we think will never turn their lives over to Jesus. Let me just ask you this morning to think about that for a moment. Are there people like that that you know or you have seen? People that you think, wow, certainly they will not come to Jesus. Certainly that person will not follow him. That person There's no hope for that person. I don't even know, I don't even know if the Lord can do something with that person's life. You say, oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, sometimes we think that within our hearts without verbalizing it about people. But friends, those people are the people that as we look out into the world as that filthy sinner that we think, well, that person will never come to know Christ. Maybe it's the dishonest outcast. We think that person will never follow Jesus. Maybe it's the crooked politician. There's no hope for them. 
Or maybe it's the man in prison or the woman on the street or the addict who keeps relapsing or the wealthy businessman who seems to have it all or the middle-aged mother who has her hands full or the teenager who is most popular in school or the one who is the most alone or it's that child who's from a tough family in a rough neighborhood and we think, I just don't know that that person will ever come to know Jesus Christ. Friends, listen. If we have those thoughts about anybody or any group of people, then it says more about what we believe about Jesus than what we believe about those people. It reminds me of what it says in Matthew 19 when talking about people being saved. Jesus said about a rich man being saved. Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things, all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible with God. And so what does Jesus do? We see it here in this call to Levi. This is what he does. Looking beyond what everyone else sees, he calls Levi, and he's still, friends, and he is still calling people to himself. Of every socioeconomic uh, group, every grade level, every age, every color, every creed, uh, every nationality, it is a radical reach. And friends, maybe you're here today and, and you've been praying for someone and you're at that point where you've just about given up on someone else. Or maybe you're here today and you've just about given up on yourself. Let me just say to you, Jesus still calls people in a radical call to follow him. He still has the power. Which brings us to our next point, his radical call that is a radical reach. There is an expectation of a radical response. A radical response. Look at verse 14 again. As Jesus speaks to Levi, as he's sitting there at the tax office, Jesus says to him, follow me. And so he arose and he followed him. Well, that doesn't sound too radical. Jesus said, follow me, and he got up and followed him. Well, let's look at the word follow just for a second. The word follow here, the call to follow that Jesus is saying, follow me, means, the word actually means to walk the same road. It's in the present tense, meaning to start following me and to continue to follow me. It means walking the same road as Jesus walked. Walking with Jesus, being in a relationship with him. You say, well, that's still not too radical. Well, let's think about what Levi did. Levi got up from his office. He got up from this platform, this booth, and he began to follow Jesus. And as he got up from his tax office, listen, as he got up from his elevated bench where he was making Lots of money granted through shameful means. As, as he got up from his, his tax office, he got up from his lucrative business that was making him very wealthy. As he got up from his tax office, he was getting up from his connections to Rome and all of its power. And as he got up and followed Jesus, he was leaving that all behind. And as he followed Jesus, he is burning his bridges behind him with no turning back. 
This same passage of Scripture, this same story in the book of Luke tells us, and Luke 5.25 gives us a little different perspective or a better perspective as it says that he left all and rose up and followed him. In other words, it was a radical response. Levi, as he is called by Jesus, leaves it all behind. Which meant he also left behind not only this lucrative business, not only this, all this money that he's making, not only all these connections that he had with Rome, but he is also leaving behind something else. He's leaving behind his old life in order to follow Jesus. You see, in order to follow Jesus, in, in the act of following Jesus, Levi had to believe Jesus was who he said he was. But Levi couldn't continue to live in his old ways. He couldn't continue in his sins against people, against the Lord himself. And so Jesus called him to follow, and that includes repentance. If you follow down in your verses there to the the verse 17 and the last part of verse 17, Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says he calls us to repentance and repentance is turning from sin and turning to Jesus while you are believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And so that is exactly what has taken place here. What did Jesus say? As a matter of fact, we think about repentance. What did Jesus say back in Mark chapter one and verse 15? As Jesus was beginning his ministry after John the Baptist, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then again in Luke 13, verse three, and also in verse five, he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Peter, as he preaches in Acts three nineteen, after the lame man had been healed, he told the crowds who gathered, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so to repent and to believe is to leave the old life behind and to follow And it is, as we leave the old life behind and follow Jesus, is a radical response. One that Jesus commands to follow him. The problem here was that there were Pharisees who were in their midst who thought that they were righteous and they didn't need to be made right with God. And most likely, that is still the case today that there are people who may think that they are good enough so they do not need salvation through Jesus Christ. There are many people who are just like the Pharisees of that day where they are clinging to their traditions. They're clinging to their religion. If only I can go to church enough, if only if I can give enough money, if only I can get my name on the roll, if only if I can be a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, if only I could preach every once in a while or just speak in front of people, if only I could read the Bible enough, if only if I could just do this or do that, then I'll be right with God. But friends, that is not the case. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become a profitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You see, friends, listen. We must see ourselves lost before we can be 
saved. We must see ourselves lost before we can be saved. You must know that you are spiritually sick before you can be spiritually healed. And that is what Jesus is addressing there in verse 17. Our king here is the great physician. Let's look at it again. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our king, King Jesus, is the great physician, and he calls us to repent and to follow him. It is a radical response as he calls us to follow him as we leave it all behind, turning from sin to Jesus, believing in him for who he is and following him. And we know that in Levi's life here that a change most certainly has taken place in his life. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 15, it says, as it now had happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. What's going on here? Levi is having a banquet at his house because he wants his friends to be introduced to Jesus. You see, friends, part of following Jesus is wanting other people to be introduced to Jesus as well. Amen? Now, the question today for us is this. What are you doing to introduce people to Jesus through your life? Last week, we asked the question, are you standing in the way of people coming to Jesus? But today, we're asking, what are you doing to introduce people to Jesus through your life? He still calls people today to repent, to believe, and to follow. It is a radical response. And just as there is a radical reach where Jesus calls all kinds of people to himself and there's the the radical response that he calls us to where we are to follow him, then we next see the third point, which is this, the radical reason. The radical reason. Why? Why does Jesus call people to himself? Why does the king call the lowest of the low life like a tax collector in that day? Why does the king call that kind of person to follow him? Why does he call us to follow him? There is a radical reason. It's called radical love. Amen? It's radical love. You know, let's just look at the verse, verse 16 again and look at the question of the Pharisees. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? We need to be grateful for the Pharisees and the scribes who would ask such a question because it causes us to ask that question. It is a far-reaching question. Why indeed, why indeed would the Son of God eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? The radical reason is it is the radical love of God. Why would he come and dwell among us? 
Why would he do that? Because he knew that we could not save ourselves. And he loves us. Now, that's hard for me to wrap my head around the love of God. I cannot fathom that. But friend, I am so thankful for it. Amen? I'm thankful for the love of God who would love me and send his son to die on the cross for me and rise again bodily from the grave and call me to himself to follow him. The Bible is clear, friends, about God's love for us. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, in the Old Testament, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Jeremiah writes, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. That loving kindness is is a merciful love, a gracious love, and, and by that loving kindness he has drawn us to himself. And then we find in 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10 in the New Testament, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a mighty big word with this meaning that he is, that he is to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Meaning that because of his sacrifice, his life on the cross, the wrath that we deserved by God because of our sin, Jesus took upon himself. And why did he do that? Because he loves us. Friends, I cannot understand it, but I believe it. And I trust him for it, and I'm grateful for his grace, his mercy, and his love. Jesus, our king, is our great physician. Now, I suspect that some of you have, ever, have, have been to the doctor before, right? Most of all of us have been to the doctor at some point for something or another. And when, we sit, when we're sick, when we're really sick sometimes... Uh, we have to drag ourselves to the doctor. Some folks, uh, maybe a little bit like me, try to avoid it as much as possible, trying to stay, you know, just let me just do okay, and I'll eventually get through this. And after about three weeks of having an infection, it's about time to go to the doctor. You know, you talk, know what I'm talking about? So we drag ourselves to the doctor. We get there. The doctor looks at us. He comes in. He may do some tests on us. He may listen to our heart. He may look in our mouths and look in our ears and all kinds of things. And and he will look at us and he'll take his education and, and go by what he sees and what he hears. And to the best of his ability, he'll make a diagnosis and he will give us a prescription or treatment that he expects us that we need to go to the drugstore to pick up or, or if we're fortunate, he's got a sample there and we'll take that home or whatever. And we go and we try and we take that medicine and our bodies, as we take that medicine, the body, our bodies may react negatively or it may help us to get well. Hopefully, we won't get sick again. And then you know what happens next with the doctor. And about a week later, you get a bill, amen? You get a bill and you feel bad again. You send them the money. My friends, let me tell you, our great physician is a great physician. 
Because we don't have to drag ourselves to him. He comes to us. He sees us in our need and he comes to us because we cannot help ourselves. As he looks at us, he knows he gives us a perfect diagnosis. And that is that we are sinners and we need a savior. And not only that, as he knows what we need, he then provides a final and a complete cure. We don't have to worry if this medicine is going to work or not. It works. It is the cure to our spiritual sickness. He, Jesus, is the cure. Jesus' blood is the medicine. Because of the cross and the empty tomb, we have forgiveness and life eternal. And guess what? The bill has already been paid. Jesus has paid the bill with the shedding of his blood for us. Oh, what a physician, amen? What a physician. What a great doctor we have. Who can understand the radical reason of the love of God? We cannot understand it. But friends, when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, it changes us. Because he changes us. And as his children, we are changed. And it changes us to the point that we are also able to love each other. Are you with me? Say yes. Yes. Now I want you to think about the banquet. Think about this banquet here. Remember they were having a banquet here. Jesus was dining in Levi's house. There are many tax collectors and sinners who also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. They were following him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw it, that's when they're saying, you know, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? So they're outside looking in. But we see inside this house in the banquet, you have the disciples and Jesus, and you have the tax collectors and sinners. And you have to wonder, what in the world is going on? Can you imagine being a fly on the wall in that day and seeing these two different groups of people under one roof in this house. So we're talking about pastor. Well, look, there, there are these fishermen and these businessmen, these tax paying Jews who no doubt at some point have had run-ins with these same tax collectors, these same kinds of people. And also, also there are other people there who likely were not keeping the full, uh, the, keeping the law. And so you have these two different kinds of people under this one roof. And you have to wonder that as they're looking out and surveying these disciples and and these people who are are not the tax collectors have to be looking out and they think, you know, I believe I recognize him. I believe he's the one who cheated my sister. I recognize that guy. He's the one who, who really bribed somebody against me. So you have to imagine that that kind of thinking could have been in that house between these two different groups of people. There are the ill feelings between these two different groups of people. There are the strong words that may have happened at some time and and there's the possibility of, of a wrong tone even being spoken in this room. How could they be in the same room, much less dining at the same table? What in the world would they have in common? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is who made the difference. And friends, he is still the one who makes the difference. When Jesus has radically reached out to sinners 
like all of us, and he has called us to a radical response, and we have been changed by him, then we recognize his radical reason is a radical love, and that has changed us so that just just as Jesus has loved us, we are also able to love all people. In 1 John 4, 7 through 8 and 11, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who, is, who lo- everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, friends, when Jesus comes into our heart and saves us and makes us new, when he comes into our lives and makes us his children, Our hearts are changed when Jesus saves us. When by God's grace, Jesus saves us, he gives us a new heart. I was reading a devotional uh, just this past week and this came out and I wanted to just share with you. You may have read it in your devotions this week, but it says, when grace happens, we we receive not a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. He says, you might call it a spiritual heart transplant. And he goes on to tell a story. He says, Tara Storch understands this miracle as much as anyone can. In the spring of 2010, a skiing accident took the life of her 13-year-old daughter, Taylor. What followed for for Tara and her husband, Todd, was every parent's worst nightmare a funeral, a burial, a flood of questions and tears. And they decided to donate their daughter's organs to needy patients. Few people needed a heart more than Patricia Winters. Her heart had begun to fail five years earlier, leaving her too weak to do much more than just sleep. Taylor's heart gave Patricia a fresh start on life. But Tara had only one request, She wanted to hear the heart of her daughter. She and Todd flew from Dallas to Phoenix and they went to Patricia's home. They just wanted to hear the heartbeat of their daughter, Taylor. As Tara walked in and Todd walked into Patricia's house, the two mothers embraced for a long time. And then Patricia offered Tara and Todd a stethoscope, put it in Tara's ears and then Todd's ears and placed the stethoscope to her own heart. And when they listened to the healthy rhythm, whose heart did they hear? They heard the heartbeat of their daughter. It dwells in a different body, but the heart is the heart of their child. Now, friends, let me just ask you a question this morning. When God hears your heart, does he hear the heartbeat of his son who gave his life for you? Do you love one another? Does God the Father hear his son's heart beating in you? There's a radical reason that he has called you to follow him, it's because he loves you. 
And as we're changed by his love, it causes us to love other people. He expects a radical response that we are to repent while believing and follow him. And it all begins with one step. That one step is a sinner turning while embracing or believing and professing. The Bible says that we must admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are to turn from that sin and turn to Jesus Christ, confessing we're sinners and we need him to save us, repenting of that sin. Acts 3.19 says, as we mentioned a minute ago, that repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And as you're acknowledging that you're a sinner, needing Jesus to save you, turning from your sin, leaving the old life behind just like Levi and you're following Jesus, you are embracing or you are believing all in this one step that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave and he did that for you. Romans 10, 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And in the same moment, we are professing him as the Lord of my life. We're saying yes to Jesus. And friends, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, it is a radical reach for holy God to love all of us. But if you will call out to him, he will save you. The Bible says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Christian, let me just remind you this morning and ask you, just in this quietness of this moment, do you remember? Some of us, some of, for some of us, we've got to think back a few years. For some of us, not so long. But do you remember the king's call to you? And when he called out to you, you said yes to Jesus. And you left the old life. And repented of your sins, turning to Jesus, believing that he is the son of God who died for you and rose again. When he saved you, because of his love for you, he changed you. The question then is this. As he changed you, do you have the heartbeat of Jesus? Are you loving other people unconditionally? Are you forgiving those who have done something against you? Are you seeking forgiveness from those whom you've done something to? Are you introducing others to Jesus through your life and through your words? Are you living the radical life of following Jesus, of obeying Jesus, of acting like Jesus and having the heartbeat of Jesus. Let's pray.